Well, welcome to this edition of Theology Jam. My name is John Korkadakis, and I'm normally here with my good friend Matthew Burkholder, but Matthew is not able to be with us today. But we do have a very special guest. We have Stephanie Webb with us here today. And Stephanie, it's really great to have you as part of our podcast um, this this time around. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Now, you... Just as a, as a bit of a background, you had a podcast for um, at least two years that you yeah. had some very... In- I remember listening to some very fascinating conversations that you had with deconstructionists and, and all of those things, and they were, they were fascinating. And you've written the children's book. Yes. What Should, what Dragon, should Dragon Do? do? <laughs> yeah, which well, is really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on and... You've been such a great help and support to me over the last few years, so I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, my children's book is about this character named Dragon yeah. who lives with her two bear roommates and... Scout and... Racer. Racer, yes. And she gets upset at the little tiny things, and she freaks out and gets angry. And so um, then the question is asked, like, what could she have done? How could she have handled this better? And so it's kind of stories that happened to me when I lived with the roommates. <laughs> and I thought, hey, this would make a funny children's book. And so I was like, hey. And I just continued on and I self-published. And it was challenging but super fun and exciting. Yeah, so. Friesen Preston is, is one of the better uh, self-publishers. They're yeah. really pretty good. And your book's gotten some pretty good reviews, too. Like I was looking at... Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if that's good to always get good reviews because then like people are thinking, are you paying these people? Oh. But, <laughs> but uh, when, I'm, when people, you know, they buy the book or I say, can you write a review, please? And so they do. So, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that that's happened because uh, I kind of when I when I read the description of the book, it's a, it is a little bit of your life experience mm-hmm. wrapped up in helping kids make good decisions and understand self-awareness and things like that. So one of the reasons why I, I, I wanted to have you on the podcast and Matthew as well is, is you have an interesting life story. You know, here on Theology Jam, we've talked a lot about the church and just how the church can be better and the things that we struggle with as leaders in the church of how we can, you know, best demonstrate the hands and feet of Jesus in the life of mm-hmm. people. Now, you grew up in, in a, would you say, a strict Christian home? or <laughs> I grew up weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know how to explain it. People are like, well, what denomination are you? I went to the Baptist school. We were, my parents were Baptist, but then we went to Missionary Alliance Church and then after I left my parents' church, I went to a Word of Faith Prosperity Charismatic Church. And then I went to your normal Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church. Mm. I say normal just because when people hear Pentecostal, to some people it means like very strict skirts only. And other people it's like hanging off the chandeliers. Yeah. To me, it's like the pastor wearing jeans with an earring drinking coffee. Ah. <laughs> So, and I've gone to a non-denominational Bible college and university, Christian university. So I feel like I've had a lot of different experiences yeah. <laughs> in the different aspects of Christianity. 
But yeah, but my, yeah, my dad is basically theology is the only important thing. Okay. And his theology is very strict. Calvinism, six day creation. Oh, what else is there? And he's all millennial. Thank God. Because I've been talking to a lot of people who grew up believe it, like hearing about the rapture and the left behind series. And I have friends I had a friend text me last week and he's, he was suicidal and he has such fear of hell. Wow. And he grew up like that. So I was like, thank you, dad, for being at least not (laughs) intensely fearful about the end times. Yeah. Cause I'm super, like I was super anxious and highly sensitive. So things like that would have really impacted me. Wow. Wow. I remember the first time I realized that I was not, um, a a rapturist. Is that... What is it? Pre-mill? Pre-tribulation. Pre-tribulation. Yeah, pre-tribulational rapture. And uh, (laughs) I remember when I came to that decision, I remember the first, I made the mistake of admitting that in a group, (laughs) and I thought I was going to get lynched. I honestly thought I was, I'm I'm in big trouble here, right? You know? Because you're not being biblical, right? Oh, yeah. Literalist. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And and in fact... um, and anyway, I, I, and I have issues with the Left Behind series too, mm-hmm. and that was a second kind of strike against me. Mm-hmm. But at, at the same time, it's, it's easy to get caught up in these things that we may disagree upon, but at the same time, um, they affect us and how we respond and react to other, other people. So your upbringing... Um, how did it help you or hurt you when it came to the church overall? That's such a loaded question. I know. <laughs> That's why I asked it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, okay, if it was two years ago, I would have said, oh, everything was great. Oh. Except I didn't know that things were not great. Because, okay, so I grew up with a lot of anxiety, but I didn't know I had anxiety until I was in my mid thirties. And, um, but I remember I was feeling anxious about things and I'm like, Oh, I got stomach ache. I've got, you know, and people are like, why are you so scared? I don't know. Um, I think it goes back to like when I was four, there's stuff that happened and just always being scared of people. Now we also grew up in the eighties where, because of kids being taken all the time, your parents are overprotective, yeah. right? So it was like, don't leave my sight. And so I was terrified also of just the dangers in the world. But, um, but when I had anxiety and I found out about it, I was thinking, oh, I can't, like mental health was such a, it depends who you talk to or what church you went to. But generally I found there was this, Dislike of psychology, dislike of therapists. If you were going to go to a therapist, go only to a Christian therapist or a biblical counselor, which I recently found out is not somebody who's actually taken psychology. Mm. And that scares me because I'm thinking all these people who go to a biblical counselor and they're told basically pray it away and you just need more Jesus and Holy Spirit. And they're not taught about how what they're dealing with was something from their past. And like, even when in neuroscience, you know, we're, we're, we're learning how the brain has been affected 
because the amygdala and hippocampus are close together. So the emotions and the memories are linked, right? So if something happens and you automatically have a response and you don't know why. Yeah, yeah. And that was like a sin, you know, do not be anxious for anything. God doesn't want you to be anxious, which is nice, but then it, they kind of make it feel like it's your fault Yeah. because you're not letting God calm you, calm you. Something's wrong with you. Yes. That was always the message. Yes. Something's wrong with you. And as Calvinist, you know, you're totally depraved. So even, I remember people would say to me, oh, your mom is so sweet. and She does so much for people. And she'd go, oh, it's not me. It's God. Yeah. And so you can't even accept a compliment because... Well, it's not me. I'm I'm sinful. I'm totally depraved, but it's only because God is in me that this good thing I did came out. So I think that really affects us too, because then you're just, I know for me, I just thought I was worthless. And it also comes back, back to misogyny because <laughs> I grew up, well, my dad has issues with women um, and he'll make comments all the time. So I always just thought we were kind of second class humans. So that also messed you up, you know? <laughs> and that gets reinforced in the church. Yes. Un- unknowingly, right? All uh, the you time. Know, those, all, all the time. Um, these, these things where, you know, we treat people as second class or not worthy or the problem is theirs and, and you know, you need to rely or pray more and rely on the Holy Spirit more and you are depraved. All, all of those things. I'm just simply repeating everything you just said. Yeah, it's almost like um, sometimes as the church, we just have the fear of reality yeah. around us. And it's a lot easier to kind of set these boundaries that are kind of arbitrary based on what is our biggest fear in the moment. And we set that as the rule, and that's the expectation that we place on everybody else. Yeah. And, that's, and, I, and I think that's why I'm so intrigued with your story, um, because you have been really open... Um, anybody that's followed you, especially on social media, you're really open about the struggles of your of what your past did to you and how you're kind of becoming more self-aware of these kinds of things and how you're working through them. Like presently in your life, what do you think is the, the one thing that you are investing the most time in, in terms of personally improving about yourself? Um, I think it's just more and more of the personal development, self-awareness, understanding who I am, why I do things, why I get triggered. Um, Because, you know, if somebody lashes out, they're like, oh, that person's horrible and they're angry and I don't like them. Um, But then you realize, okay, there's something going on with that person. Yeah. I mean, some people might just love being horrible. I don't know, but I think everyone <laughs> everyone has, like, some people don't know that they can be different. And I think the thing that bothers me the most is the personal development world, yeah, it can get a little, my friends and I call it woo-woo, <laughs> where it seems kind of weird. Like, with certain videos talking about law of attraction, right, they yeah. say oh, you just sit and meditate and dream of a million dollars and it'll happen. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds nice, but no, that's not reality. 
but so some of it does sound very weird, okay. right? Okay. But when you kind of dig deeper and you hear different aspects of what it means, it's actually kind of just psychology. It's actually just what's that thing in psychology where um, you believe something about yourself and then you start acting like it. Well, and so you become it because you believe. Oh, I, I always forget terms. A self um, self. Self-propagating uh, truth or something. Self-fulfilling self, prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Those those kinds of things. Well, can I? All right, we're gonna we're gonna open up a can of worms here. I think. Sorry. You know, you, know, <laughs> you talked about the law of attraction. Yeah. Right. And and right from the get-go, the law of attraction has always been this kind of evil, modern, liberal. Uh, new age, Buddhist, all, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but you know, we look scientifically. Like I can't remember who it was, but cells that fire together wire together, right? Mm-hmm. Is the old is the old adage, and we're learning more and more that um, w- what we think becomes eventually our biology, and all of these things that scientifically are shown that that how we think motivates how you know y- you you listen. Who is the big I always forget his name. He has all the conferences and Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he 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 talks about all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Imagine it, and it'll be yours. You know. Yes. Does it go too far sometimes? Yeah. Sometimes it can get really way out there. But there's some nuanced truth to this whole idea. Um, because we experience the negative side of it. You're talking, you know, you've talked about the negative side. You get enough people telling you, and we've, we've heard this for years, mm-hmm. you keep telling the child they're worthless. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they, they think that they're worthless. So why do we accept the negative aspect of this but refuse to accept the positive thing? You know, we say in the church all the time, God loves you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a positive affirmation of how God sees you. Right. And yet, why do we have trouble accepting that? Because immediately we want to say, well, I fail here. I fail there. I'm, I'm incomplete here. Yeah. I'm struggling with this here. And... and, and in some implied way, the church contributes to that. And I know the church, I know it's important for the church to acknowledge that we are broken people, that we need God's help in that. But as, as you continue to, to demonstrate in your own life, you're learning the nuances of yes. what it means. Nuance is huge. And I think that's another thing. I mean, you seem to understand it, but I didn't. I grew up very black and white, which causes anxiety. Yeah. The more I realize the world is gray, there's so much more nuance. I feel so much less anxious. And also, you don't have to defend everything. Yeah. You know, um, you can have an understanding. Okay, this situation over here, this person dealt with this, but it's not the same for this person over here. So you can't just say that that was wrong for that person. Um I mean, there's so many social issues that are, that people talk about and, 
it's just like, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? And then you realize it's not so black and white. No. You know, and that's just how we grew up. And that was always, it's, and God just seems like really horrible because you're thinking if this is black and white, what about the people who are suffering in the gray? Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and I, th I think the whole black and white issue comes out of a culture or an environment where people are afraid of being uncertain. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the black and white that creates certainty. Right. You know, it's a little bit like terrorism. Yeah. Okay, I remember, I remember growing up, you know, the big enemy were these countries, right? They were clearly defined enemies. But terrorism comes along and there's, you know, it, they're not clearly defined enemies and they can be found anywhere. I mean, and mm -hmm. things like that. Well, and then the, <laughs> talking about Christian nationalism in the States. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things too. Actually, I get really upset about it. Uh, America in the movies and everything, right? They were always the good guys. Yeah. And they grew up like that. I have a friend in the States and she's like, we're literally told we're the best country. Yeah. But what about, you know, when the U.S. does things like going into Vietnam and what they do there and going in here? Well, they're helping. But are they really? Now they've made it worse. Like, America's always a good guy, but to that country over there, they're the bad guy, which is how you get, like, Osama bin Laden. Because You know what I mean? Like, it's so... Not black and white. Oh. Oh, sorry. Oh. I really opened a can of worms. No, you didn't. Okay. Oh, oh, man. We're probably more on side than, than I, I care to admit. See, I if I say anything, yeah. if I have these discussions with my dad, oh, my word. He yeah. loves Trump. Trump is his hero for some reason. And it's just there's no discussion. It's just if I say anything that maybe challenges his right-wing beliefs, yeah. I'm listening to the evil liberals. Yeah. And so I'm like, but... How do you know that what you're saying is true? And he talks about absolute truth all the time. But it's just funny to me because so do you. Fox News is absolute truth. That's a joke. Well, I, re I remember, you know, my, my mom subscribes to Greek stations, because, you know, as, as, a, as a Greek. And I remember hearing news and then going to visit my mom and she would have the Greek news on. And I would hear a story that was being conveyed in here in North America from a totally, totally different mm -hmm. viewpoint. And what was good here, and they were, you know, celebrating, was considered oh. bad, evil, and how how dare this happen? Right. And look how it affected, you know, the people and all and all that kind of stuff. Totally different perspective. Yeah. And. You know, I, I, I quickly realized, um, even very young, just the way that media shapes the story so that it appears more black and white. You know, the real tension for me over this war in Ukraine and Russia, I have, I have really good Russian friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I even remember eight, nine years ago them saying, well, hey, like, you know, when is anybody going to listen to what's going on over there, right. especially with NATO? Like, we think NATO is this, um, you know... Good. Thing. Good, you yeah. know, in, in the white suit and all this stuff, where in other parts of the world, NATO is what contributes 
to, you know, some of the worst atrocities mm -hmm. on the planet. And I know we've got <laughs> we've gotten to the world <laughs> world politics. Well, it and everything, all connects. But it but all connects, yeah. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, like even with racism, with feminism, with um, all these things that I've been learning, I never got to learn about these things. Like feminism was evil liberals. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. You know, you didn't empower me to stand up for myself at all, to say no to people. Like feminism is good. I mean, I think so. Um, but I think it's a lot about power and control as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I see things as like it all connects and yet, if you're trying to tell somebody this, they're like, why are you off on this topic over here? Well, maybe it's my ADHD, but it does all connect. Because if you start to see how, you know, people of color are not being listened to by white evangelicals. Yeah. And then they're just like, well, but they're not true Christians, or they're liberals, or they're this, or they're whining, or they're... And you're like, but you're not listening. So... You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, they, it really all connects in some way. Yeah, they say the most segregated hour in the U.S. is Sunday morning, right? Yeah, when and it really saddens church. me. I think that's what started my deconstruction. First was Trump, then when George Floyd died. Yeah. And I really, I was, because for years I kept hearing people of color say, why don't people listen to us? And then my dad would tell me, well, no, Ben Shapiro said this. And I was like, okay. I guess the liberals are wrong. And then, um, but I wanted to know, okay, why do people of color keep saying that we're not listening, you know? And so I really wanted to know. And then when you start hearing their story and you start listening to them, because it's not my experience, I don't know. Yeah. But white people think we know. We don't. It's not our experience. So I'm like, oh my goodness, how come we weren't told this? How come it's so demonized? I don't get it. These are human beings. And as Christians, why don't we care? There's such a disconnect there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what started making me really angry. Yeah. And then the pandemic and all the Christians whining about their rights and freedoms. And oh no, <laughs> this is such a hot topic. But it's also, you know, some... Sometimes they're against others' rights and freedoms. And then, you know, because you couldn't open your church for a month, you're all angry. Really? You and I have talked about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got angry yeah. because I was realizing, oh, my goodness. Because I started realizing what I came out of. And I was like, we were b the bad guys. Like, that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. And I was told the other side was the bad guys and we were the good guys. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I I. That, that, Not that it's bad and good. I'm just saying, like, that's how it was. It feels, you know? Yeah, and, and we've talked a little bit about the pandemic and the, the way yeah. it, things responded. Um, and, and I've said this many, many times. I really never cared how you felt about whether the lockdowns were legit, vaccines were legit. My biggest concern is how the church got portrayed mm. in the midst of it. You could easily be against the whole thing and all that stuff, but did you have to be belligerent and ignorant and demand your rights about it? Because if, if, if Christ is preeminent in your life, this is a moment where we could have glorified God in a way that showed people that the church cared about them, mm -hmm. regardless of how we felt 
about the circumstances and situation. Well, and you, I think that Village Green did that and some other churches that I know, but they're not shown in the media. So, of course, the ones in the media yeah. are the ones closing their, you know, freaking out and having the police come and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was... It, 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 was not a, it was not a show of Christ-likeness in, in the least, um, in my eyes. And also, I mean, I have a lot of non-Christian friends. I always have. And they've kept me humble. And they've showed way more grace than I've ever shown to them. So... I, you know, you can learn a lot from non-Christians because we think that we have all of that. We don't. We don't. Um, and they'll ask me, like, why do why do evangelicals do this or say that? And I, I try to explain it to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird to them. But they keep asking me, why do they think they're so persecuted? And I say, because they don't get their way. They're so used to getting their way. Also, if things are headed towards, like, accepting groups that they don't, that they don't like... Or that, you know, Paul says something about, then they can't say anything against it. They can't be mean. So they're like, we're being persecuted. And they don't start to think maybe we're harming groups. Like, I, I know, I, I've said horrible things when I, you know, we were kind of like Jerry Falwell, you know, AIDS is. Yeah. AIDS yeah. is the judgment on the LGBTQ community. I remember saying that years and years ago and now I'm just horrified that I ever thought that or said that but that's kind of the attitude that was in the church yeah I, re I remember that really clearly I remember that being the prominent message yeah. of, of it and in fact I um if a Christian was found caring for one of them mm. there was incredible criticism of why would you do that yeah well, Tammy Faye Baker got in trouble for yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For that, yeah. And th and it's just, you think about it, okay, but that's what Jesus would do. If Jesus came back now, he's brown skin, he's a refugee, he's, you <laughs> he's know, speaking those, yeah. up, turning over the tables, he would not go to these churches where they're handing out AR-15 rifles oh. as raffles. He's not going there going, let's go Brandon. He is like condemning those churches. Yeah. He's not going to the churches where Donald Trump is speaking on a Sunday morning. On a Sunday morning, yeah. Like, they think this is, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And I said that to my dad, and he goes, well, what's wrong with that? We should be doing that here. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> if you don't know what's wrong with that, I can't even talk to you. <laughs> if we, <laughs> I, I think that would be the fastest way for me to retire <laughs> and check out a church is, if churches were moving in that direction and yeah. if it became Christian nationalism and we were looking at political figures before looking to Christ and mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, and even I've noticed there are Christian, in the Christian music industry and the Christian leaders and whatever, they have to take a stand. Either they're with Trump and like they're um, they're in cahoots with Charlie Kirk, you know, Turning Point USA. Yeah. I see some of these people on the roster for those yeah. for those conferences, and I'm like, no, not this person. I liked you. Why? And so, but if they don't, then they're being condemned by the Christ by the evangelicals, right? Yeah. And like Lecrae, you know, he speaks out on racism and stuff, and people were like, oh, you've, you know. 
you're all liberal now, and so a lot of people have kind of don't like him. It, it's just ridiculous. You know how the Christians kind of either they want to keep their money and keep being famous. They were like, well, I have to now be on this side. We need a it's reckoning, crazy. don't we? As, yeah. as the church, we need, we need a reckoning. What, what, what do you think is the best way forward for the church? You know, you've, you've experienced a lot of these negative aspects of it and are going through this incredible journey yourself of personal reconciliation and healing. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the church was, you know, complicit in some ways to that. What's the best way forward for churches? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Well, you know, on the New Evangelicals podcast, Tim Whitaker. Yeah, Tim Whitaker, yeah. He's talked to people, and some of them say, just the whole thing needs to come down, and we need to rebuild. Maybe in America. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I do think that if we can start listening to other voices... When I started listening to atheists and progressive Christians, and I heard how people were like, why do Christians say these weird things? It sounds like they're in a cult. Um, we kind of are. <laughs> Some of the things that we believe and say and we're told what to do, I mean, it's cultish. Um, but the sayings, some of our Christian phrases, it sounds so weird, and it sounds condescending and self-righteous. Yeah. So when I started listening to people from the other side, and I was like, Oh, we sound like that to you? Okay, good to know. But you have to be open-minded about it. And that, okay, okay, that, that's really bizarre. I, 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 have to, <laughs> I have to stop you right there, okay? This Sunday, um, we're doing a series on wisdom from the book, by the book. And this Sunday is about the art of listening. Oh. And <laughs> because I totally agree with you. I think one of the big cultural failures is we have lost the sense of being able to listen to other voices. Yeah. And um, you're either a, a preacher, a politician, or a prosecutor. And a lot of them are narcissists anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because <laughs> so you, of course oh, they don't listen. <laughs> because, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. So you're either one of those three, and we'll talk a little bit about that on Sunday, but you're not listening for understanding. No. And Simon Sinek talks about that a lot. Yeah. About how do we listen? Yeah. Because we just want to talk. And, you know, I, I get caught up in that too. I'm like, oh, I have so much to say to you. Um, but it's so important to listen to other people and their experiences. And the empathy thing is huge. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been sharing with some, some people and some Christian friends, and I'll say, you know, yeah, you know, this leader said this, and that's how it has affected people. And they're like, eh, not many people take it that way. I took it that way. Yeah. I grew up in that. I've heard other people's stories of how we all took it that way. You know, if John Piper says something in an article, a woman wrote in about her harsh husband, and he just said, well, pray for him, submit to him, blah, blah, blah. And there, he's being called out because it's like, hey, what does harsh mean? Harsh generally, a lot of times, means abusive. Yeah. And my friend was like, well, it's probably just like a guy. I'm thinking, no. We grew up in abuse. We were abused by many men. And we were talked down to all the time. So you might not take it that way, but don't dismiss my side of the story, how I interpret it, how many of us do. 
And so I just got, I haven't talked to that friend for a while and she hasn't written to me either, but I just was realizing she does not listen to me at all. And everything I'm saying about the church, like she has some things that she picks out. She gets frustrated, like especially being single. Um, and I'm trying to explain that it's a, it's a culture thing. It really is. It starts with the organizations that have taught us this and this and this, right? Like focus on the family. I listened to them for years. I got a lot of my beliefs from them. And she's like, no, no, they're good. They're good. And I'm thinking, mm, okay, you and I disagree. <laughs> but the empathy thing is just, yeah, it's not your experience, but it's mine. Yeah. So yeah. you're gaslighting me actually by saying it's not my experience. Yeah. You know, it, it, Matthew's not here to kind of... But I've I'm, talked to him about, about some of the stuff, how we grew up. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I know. He would really appreciate a lot of music. But, you know, last week, Matthew and I did a, a, a podcast on abortion. Mm-hmm. And we talked about being two white guys, right, talking mm-hmm. about abortion. In many ways, it's inappropriate. Um, but we had some, you know, moral things to talk about. But I think the big thing that we were really concerned about is the lack of empathy. Yes, huge. That, the, that, the, that in many ways, the church, you know, whatever, however you want to see the victory or the loss that's happening with, with you know, Roe, Roe v. Wade and, and all of that, it's just we were, we were calling the church to be empathetic to those who have experienced abortion and who have gone through really, you know, I, I can't believe it was easy decisions to make. And also when you when you, when you look at women who there's so much more in it, right? There's spousal rape, which yeah. a lot of churches say is not a it's not a thing. If she's being abused and she can't leave and she's been a stay-at-home mom and she has no money, yeah. how do you expect her to leave and now she's pregnant? If um yeah, ectopic pregnancies is is a topic that keeps coming out. There's just so much more nuance. Again. Again. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's like, it's murder, it's murder. Well, yeah, of course there's there's nuance in that too. Like I think in the 80s when feminism, you know, when abortion became more, like more people were doing it, some women got pregnant just so they could have an abortion. But that's more the extreme because they didn't have it for so long. Then they want to see what they can do with it. But that's not sustainable. That's not what it is now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, you know, I've learned a lot more on it. And also, um, like Planned Parenthood, we were all like, it's so evil. Well, they were actually handing out birth control and to prevent pregnancies. So, you know, when you close those down, you're going to have more pregnancies. Plus, every, all the Christians are like, we're going to adopt. We're going to adopt. Well, you're not adopting any of the kids out there now, first of all. Mm-hmm. Second, there's actually a lot of trauma involved in adopting. And it's better to support families. You know, if a woman does want her baby, but she can't afford it and she has to give it up, wouldn't it be better to support her? And they take away all the funding, like the Republicans and the conservatives take away funding for these things. So it's really just a joke, I think, because like we grew up, you had to be conservative Republican to be Christian. And yet, why are those the people that don't care about you when you're... Like, once you're born and before you die, they don't care about you. It just, it doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. And that's where it's, I, I see it as about power and control. 
They want to control women. They want to control people of color. They want to, like, it's so much of white evangelical men who are these leaders who, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you read Frank Schaefer's book, Crazy for God. Crazy for God. Going back a ways. But he talked about (laughs) um, how his dad wasn't really, because they fought for pro-life movement. And, you know, I think the Schaefer's, they, they took in unmarried women with, with babies. Like they, you know, they, they did that kind of thing and they really weren't comfortable getting in bed with the evangelical leaders of the day. And in the book, he says, my dad thought James Dobson was a narcissist. He thought Pat Robertson was cuckoo. Like he, you know what I mean? And these are the men that we revered that our parents listened to. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I got called out um, by somebody I used to go to church with 20 years ago who has never talked to me. But she's like, oh, you should, you're slant, you might, you know, you're almost slandering people. I was like, do you want to know what's going on? No, I don't want to know. I just want to be happy about my church and be positive. Okay, I understand that. Being positive is good. But you can't understand the bad stuff going on if you don't, if you just close your eyes and your ears. And then you're calling me out for saying I'm slandering. I'm like, no, I've got proof. Here's this article. Here's this and this and this about this person. It's not slander. Yeah. So it just bothered me, and I'm like, I'm so done with most Christians I know because I just get, I just get like judged. I get they want to tell me what to do all the time. None of my liberal Christian, non-Christian friends try to tell me how to live my life. Yeah, yeah. And they don't even know what's going on. I had somebody I've admired for years, I thought was a friend, just try to tell me what to do as like I was a child. I'm thinking, seriously? You don't even know my situation or what I'm dealing with right now. It was just really painful, you know? Yeah. Because these are people you're supposed to, that are supposed to love you and you're supposed to trust and you just realize you can't. So those... Sorry, that was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, but it was all all very good, you know? Um, but But you talked about the ability to listen, that the church needs to be better at that, and the ability to be empathetic to mm-hmm. people. Um, because I think when we become those things, we become less judgmental. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and, and by the way, I really struggle with the way we understand judgmentalism because, mm-hmm. because the language, again, in Greek and Hebrew is nuanced. Mm. There's, there's a judgment which it means discerning. Right. To understand. Right. And we don't think of judgment in that way. We just think we get to label you and then we can lash out at you. Once we have the label on you, then we have all these things that we can say about you. And that's pure, purely justified because the Bible tells us that we can, you know, about judging others. But it's also a human thing because we, we it's hard for our brains to wrap around you want to put people in boxes, yeah. right? Even when I say evangelicals, like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, like, my cousin's Lutheran. He goes, evangelicals in our term is, like, the liberals. It would be, like, what we think of united people, united church, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, I don't know. When I say evangelicals, it's, like, the Trump supporting all these, the people making it worse right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So it, it's hard even to explain unless you have a box to put people into, but then you're also labeling everyone the same. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you in your journey of faith? Is Jesus becoming more real t- 
to you because of your move into more self-awareness and the nuances that you're seeing and the ability to discern these things? Oh, that's an interesting question. Are you well, like we were always told about the freedom in Christ? Yeah. Never like I would pray, I was like, God give me the fruits of the spirit. We were never told it took work. We were just like, God's giving it to you because you became a Christian. Why did they not tell us it takes work? Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's where I see the personal development in the Bible. Right? Yeah. These are things you have to work on. And but that's also in other religions and in like Socrates was talking about that stuff. And it's not just the Bible, so it's kind of like, well, is it just Jesus or can it be I don't know, is it universal? I know that gets very controversial becoming a universalist and whatever. But I'm finding more freedom now, but I haven't read my Bible in a long time. I don't care to. Yeah. And I, I can't say that to any of my family. <laughs> I'll get yelled at. But I mean I do want to read it again. Certain parts. I don't care for the Old Testament. I'm sorry. That was always just boring. <laughs> or so Paul. How many, how many people on this podcast are here? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or but... Paul the Apostle, because we have had him thrown in our faces more than Jesus. Like, so you have to be... We listen to Paul more than Jesus. Like, why? Because so they you... love the... Anyways, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but my friends... Because I was just trying to read so much and trying to learn all at once. And my friend said, just sit with it. So, um, and find Jesus in, in the quietness, in other people, you know. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, people say, well, I find God in nature. Not that God is nature, but it's just quiet and it's peaceful and he made it. So you just feel him there more. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I'm, where I'm. I mean, it's a journey, and you know they do. Paul does say, "Work out your faith." Is it Paul that says that? Yeah, with fear and trembling. Yeah, so, I, if we're not working out anything, if we're just believing everything we've been taught, is that really? Okay, I think I that's. I think that's a great point, and I think, you know, my prayer for you is that you get to a place where you get to read the Bible through fresh eyes. Yeah, and not the way it was thrown in our faces all the time. Yeah. Like the verses were literally used against us. Yeah. And like somebody said the other day, oh, I hate that verse. Um, take your thoughts captive yeah. because of how it was used. And I said, you know what? I actually see it more like if I'm thinking a negative thought about myself, take it captive and turn it around. And turn it around. That's how I'm viewing that verse. Yeah. I'm not viewing it as like, because it was kind of, at least how I grew up, Anything that thought that came into your head, which you can't really help, you thought, I'm bad, I'm sinning, because this thought came into my head. Yeah. And you know what I mean? So it was just a lot of that. Sin and shame and guilt and all of that. When you put it on like a four-year-old kid. It stays with you a long time, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in... in, in it becomes much more reinforced when it when it becomes part of the faith. Yes. And then you're scared. You're scared to learn. You know, people were like, well, why didn't you learn more about this? Or why didn't you? I said, because you're scared. Yeah. If you become liberal, if you 
anything like that, you're like, I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm going to go to hell. We are terrified, which is why I think it's very culty because why, or why are they scared to send you? My dad was like, you shouldn't go to a secular university. They're going to, if you say you believe in God, the philosophy professor is going to fail you. Thanks, Dad. I already have anxiety. I'm already scared of the world. Now you've made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, so that's why I kept going to Christian universities, mm. which I don't think I'd ever go back to. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're super expensive, yeah. first of all. Yeah. Plus, I thought like I took philosophy, and I was always, and not that it's the professor's fault; it's also mine. But I would always try to bring it back. Like, how does this fit in with what the Bible says? So you're not really thinking critically. You're just like, how does this come back to Jesus? Instead of just exploring it. But I think that was my own yeah, you're, you're, biases coming into it, right? You're, so. you're talking to a guy who's taught philosophy of religion. And, <laughs> and I'm seeing the, the discussion in class and, and the whole <laughs> kinds of things. So, so yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well I, really insightful. And I, and I think you've raised a lot of things that I think more people struggle with than they're willing to admit. Right. I don't, they're too scared to admit it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I used to be. Yeah. I have be questions. Because faith is a journey. Yeah. And if we don't acknowledge the doubts that come with it, then they're just locked away somewhere and they become monsters in the end. They become mm -hmm. the dark um, creatures of the night that kind of steal your joy, you know, steal freedom, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But when we wrestle them down, they don't become threatening in the long run. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would say if we wrestle with them properly, they actually reinforce our faith mm -hmm. and make us stronger. Wow. Well, and you can find the real Jesus. Yeah. Because I, I think he's lost in the churches right now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. It depends on the church. I'm just saying generally. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I don't see him in what I see in a lot of people lately. A lot of times people come to church to find Jesus and they only end up with us. Yeah. Yeah. And. Oh, and also we need to stop saying like, oh, the church is full of people and we're all sinners. So we're like, we're kind of right when people say, oh, Christians are hypocrites or Christians are this. We need to acknowledge it, I think, because I used to say that too. Well, but we're sinners too, and we don't, but we should acknowledge that we're not doing a very good job. Right. So, yeah. And, and I think it, people will respect that a lot more. When I thought I had to have the answers for everything, Yeah. why does God allow suffering? Ugh, I need to study apologetics to find the right answer. My friends just, they... I don't think there is an answer sometimes. And when we try, it makes it worse for people. They just want you to be with them and sit and listen. So we don't even need answers half the time. Well, it's funny you say that. Um, oh, sorry, I'm prolonging uh, this. No, yeah, I know, I know you're pro prolonging it, but a, a huge revelation for me is that the Bible, only in one place does the Bible answer the why question. Why is this allowed? Um, and that's in Genesis 3 that the fall happened. But throughout the Bible, there's all kinds of things that happen, and there really isn't an explanation. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And 
I, I think the, the better question that the Bible answers is the what now question. Mm-hmm. This has happened. What now? You know, God, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the same, you know, today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And, and all of these passages that talk about the what now, mm-hmm. but never attempt to explain the why. In fact, the why is only explained by the fall and that we live in a broken world with broken people mm-hmm. and it's messy and all those kinds of things. So that was a huge revelation for me. And I think we need to be people who live more in the what now in the midst of all of this, as opposed to always trying to answer the why question mm-hmm. when God's the only one that can do that in our lives. Right. And I think people appreciate that a lot more. Yeah. If you I, just say, I don't know. Yeah. Rather than trying to give them an answer all the time. Yeah. And say, this is hard and I'm going to sit with you and I'm really sorry this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's more... Th- Jesus than, mm-hmm. than than anything else. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you for being here. We've had thank you had a great time. We're gonna do this again. This, this is, is fun. A, it is it is fun. Can I have a um, job just doing this, just talking? That'd be great. That wouldn't they be? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Um, and you're good at it. You're good at bringing oh, out the, the things that are that are probably. I think, and I, as I've said, I think there's more things that you brought up that that people are really thinking about and working through. And I just hope and encourage somebody today to stick with the journey because it's not easy and to become self-aware of those things that we have not done a very good job at, but look more to Christ and living in a more authentic way mm-hmm. and be careful of how we hurt others in the meantime. So um, thank you for being part of this uh, latest installment of Theology Jam. And again, Stephanie, thank you very much for being with us. This is fun. And yeah, (laughs) and and like I said, we'll do this again. And on behalf of Matthew Burkholder, who wasn't able to be with us, I'm John Korkadakis, and we're here with Aidan Weeb, who's our technology person. Thank you, Aidan, for being here. And if you have, yeah, and if you have any, uh, anything you want us to tackle as as part of Theology Jam, you can always uh, send an email to theologyjam at gmail.com, and we'd love to handle that topic for you. But until next time, um, we uh, hope that life is treating you well, and your journey is a journey worth worth having with your life in Jesus, okay? Thanks very much, and talk next time. See you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>